I just want to show you something, and it, I didn't mention it when we were talking about John's baptism, but just again to show you how Scripture interprets Scripture, look at, if you would, Acts, the first chapter, and in verse 22. Now, they, everything matters, right? And so here you have this uh, timeline that is laid down. So when they tried to decide who was going to replace John the Baptist, right, they gave a timeline as to who should be included in that timeline to replace who they thought would be one of the 12, right? Now notice, and it ends up being more than this, and you have this argument, some people think, oh, they shouldn't have voted on this because Paul was the one that should have replaced. Uh, you know, we're in Acts 1, 22. You know, but you end up with more apostles in the New Testament than there were disciples in the Gospels, you see. So I don't think that that's the case. But I, this is interesting here, though. Notice what they say as they're deciding who will replace Judas. It says uh, in verse um, 18, let's pick it up in 18. Then this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. And as it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in their proper tongue, a caldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. You see that? So they're setting a time frame that's going to set this apart from any of these people from the day of Pentecost forward. They wouldn't qualify. They had to have been with them at the time of the Lord. Now, he's going to give a timeline here. Notice what he says in verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John. You see that? That's pretty clear to see, isn't it? That there is a distinction made between John's baptism and what's getting ready to happen afterwards. They didn't accept who would be a disciple who was outside of that timeline. And it shows you the distinction that that what was happening during Christ's earthly ministry was very unique. It was different from what came after it. And so notice he says from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us. You see, there's your timeline. And it showed him. Wasn't anybody at the day of Pentecost that they were going to choose necessarily. They, 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 the requirement was who was with them during, during that timeline. You see, scripture interprets scripture when we let it say what it says. And it shows that there's something happening in the Gospels as you see it related to John's baptism that was unique and different from this dispensation. And we can see that as we get into the New Testament, as you, uh, we talk about it in ecclesiology, that there were more apostles than there were disciples during Christ's earthly ministry. In fact, not all of those carried over. So we see that Timothy was an apostle. Well, Timothy wasn't around during Christ's earthly ministry. Right? And so you have Barnabas as an example. And so you cannot commingle these. When you commingle them, you're doing something that Scripture doesn't do. And it has caused untold confusion, untold confusion in the church. In fact, I would say this um, inability to make consistent distinctions between the Gospels and this dispensation of grace has caused a lot of confusion. It is probably the reason that people are having a hard time growing and maturing today. Because so much time is spent trying to emulate what they did during Christ's earthly ministry, that they are not living under the provisions that God has given for today. And it's, it's caused untold problems. And so here we are. We stopped um, at, um, on page 16. And we're looking at the presence of the Mosaic law during Christ's earthly ministry proved that the gospels are doctrine for faith, but not practice. Again, I know, even though I continue to say the gospels are doctrine for our faith, but not practice. Somebody's going to say that guy over there is preaching that he don't believe all the Bible. 
let me say and go on the record as saying we believe all of the Bible. It's what do you apply? And no one would have a problem saying that, hey, uh, we don't apply a lot of the things out of Leviticus, right? I hope you don't you're not wearing cotton and tweed mixed together. Are you? That would not have been right for this dispensation. Or uh, uh, if you were uh, living on the law, that would have been uh, forbidden. Right. I hope you're not eating certain um, animals like pork. <laughs> Some people are practical dispensationalists because they understand, hey, my diet doesn't fit <laughs> into the Old Testament diet or that diet that's under law. Uh, but we want to be consistent. And I think that when we're consistent and let scripture say what it says, it opens the Bible up for the believer to understand in a way that you would never imagine. When we just let it say what it says and apply scripture to the people it belongs to, the Bible makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And so the presence of the Mosaic law during the Christ's earthly ministry proved that the Gospels are doctrine for faith, but not practice. So with the exception of a few chapters in John 13 through 17, the Gospel accounts characterize life under the Mosaic law. And so the Jews observed the Mosaic law throughout the Gospels. For example, Mary and Joseph offer sacrifices according to what? The law, right? Well, you see it over in, in look at Luke uh, chapter 2. Verse 22 and 27. Now, why would they do this if they weren't under law? Uh, Jeanette hasn't brought any sacrifices in the 22 years that we've been here. Um, I haven't seen any. You haven't brought any, have you? <laughs> Maybe that banana pudding might be seen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but they, they brought these sacrifices because they were in accordance to the, re the requirement of law. And so notice in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 21 is where we'll find ourselves. And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child. And remember, this, doesn't it sound familiar? In Philippians 3, what does Paul say? Circumcise what? The eighth day of the tribe of, uh, of um, Benjamin. And so here this was a prescription of what you did in circumcision under law. And so when after uh, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was the uh, sole named of the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, you see. This is so easy. It's it's it's. Oh, it just requires me reading. Just reading. I mean, this is not really difficult. And you say, well, how do we get here where people think that the Gospels are a doctrine for grace and that it's talking to the church? They're just not. I like what Don says. They're not even reading English. Forget the Greek. They're not even reading English. I mean, Kent, didn't you just see that there? It's pretty easy to see. And so notice uh, uh, it was after the purification, according to the law of Moses were accomplished. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy or set apart unto the Lord and to offer up a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And if I'm not mistaken, these two, uh, this offering was in, in accords with those of a certain um, economic means. And, and excuse me. It's yeah. And so it, it, it was it was staggered based upon your means. And so notice. Uh, and so they brought him in. And so notice we see this is in accordance with law. Now, in the church, we're not doing things in accordance with law today. In fact, we're told over and over and over again, you're not under law as a rule of life. You're under grace. So if we're not under law as a rule of life, how do you explain this? How do you explain it? 
Now, we had talked about before that there was a guy who was waiting for the return of the glory. The glory had departed from Israel, and they had been promised that he was going to return. There was a guy, in this context, we'll see it while we're here, he was in the temple waiting for the return of the glory, and the Holy Spirit had promised him he would not die until the glory returned. And who was the glory? It was the second person of the Godhead who had dwelt in the temple. Remember, going back into Ezekiel, he left. He departed from Israel. And they were waiting. They knew that there was going to be a day when the glory would return. This guy had received a prophecy that he wouldn't die until this happened. So notice what happened when they bring him into the, uh, the, the Lord, into the temple to uh, offer up the sacrifice. And notice in verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, and he was waiting for the, the consolation or the comforting of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents bought him, uh, brought in the child Jesus to do for him uh, after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And when you see salvation here, don't read in salvation that it's spiritual salvation in every place. Because I think here, as it relates to Israel, is that it's their rescue, as we saw it in Luke chapter 1, from the hands of their enemies. To deliver them out from the hands of their enemies. That's what they were looking for. It says, my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You see? This is so easy to see. He makes this distinction that, yes, there's going to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, but he is the glory of Israel. You see how these two are different? And remember how we ended last week in Ephesians 2, that the Jews and Gentiles are no longer separate today. They have been brought into one body. That wasn't the case in the Gospels. They were seen as distinctly different. And we tried to show you that last week when we met. And so as you notice, the woman called in adultery. Well, before we leave there, there was another person that was waiting as well in that context, and it's Anna. Uh, and notice down in verse 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at the saying, that those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rise, rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And yea, a sword shall pierce through um, thy own soul also, and thy thoughts of many, uh, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now here we have another person waiting. And there was, um, there was one Anna, a prophetess of the daughter of Phanel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age and had lived with a husband 70 years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in the instant give, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake to him of all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, uh, to their own city, uh, their own city, Nazareth. And so here you have Anna, who was also a waiter. I like Pastor Dave. He, he does have some very clever, clever titles. And he had this series when we were there called The, the Waiters. <laughs> because there was a lot of people in Israel waiting for the return of the glory. And really, I know a lot of people will translate this as for today, but it's not really. I know it makes you feel good. Isaiah 40, those that wait upon Jehovah, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. I know it makes you feel good to say that's talking about you. But do you know that wasn't talking about you. It's talking about those who were waiting on the return of the glory of Israel.
and just people just like this. Yes. What's more Stephen better is, is when you look at the word it's wait. It says it goes and wait upon. The Hebrew word means to wait for something. So yeah. it's not it's not talking about prayer or anything else. It's waiting for the Lord. Yeah, and see, you can see how that verse is used a lot to spiritualize scripture. And so I could take something that was literally meant to another group of people. And I can take it and spiritualize it. In a, oh, it just makes me so feel so good to say this. Well, it might make you feel good to say it, but it ain't true. That's not talking to you. You say, well, can I claim this verse? I've seen people say, this is my life's verse. Well, this, okay, let's just look at this. This is the reason why people become so frustrated with God. They take promises that God made to someone else and say, you're going to make it to me as well. And when he doesn't do it, God never answers prayers. And they get frustrated with God. And then they blame God for them taking a promise out of context that he never made to them. We're, we're kind of nutty sometimes. <laughs> we really are. in how we take scripture and we just want to willy-nilly make it say what we want it to say. And we're like little kids. We throw a little temper tantrum when God doesn't go along. And so notice in, um, the woman caught in adultery was judged by the Jews according to law. Notice in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. <clears throat> now notice in John chapter 8, notice verse 1 here. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and early in the morning... Um, came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and, and taught them and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Interesting that they knew it was the very act. And some wonder, were they involved? May have been so <laughs> in the very act. And notice in verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Anybody want to stone adulterers today? You better get a lot of rocks. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of stoning going on because they're all over the place today. They're everywhere. Now if you're going to be consistent and apply this, there need to be a rock concert, right? And we're not talking about the rolling stones. And so you're going to have to stone a lot of people. The flying stones. <laughs> the flying You're going to. There wouldn't be enough rocks to be able to stone the amount of adultery going on today. But you see, when you understand it, you leave it in context as talking about Israel. They were the ones that were under law. Remember uh, Romans 2.15? The Gentiles, which have not the law. You see? The Gentiles were never under law. As proof of that, you can go to Acts 15. The whole point of the church council in Acts 15 was to question whether the Gentiles should be put under law. And what was the resolution there? No. No. The Gentiles have never been under law. This is just so easy to see. So what is the problem here? It's hermeneutics. Not letting scripture say what it says. Look, we're not smart people here we're just letting scripture say what it says okay I, i'm speaking for myself i'm not a smart guy don probably is dan and those guys i'm not but we're just letting scripture say what it says you don't have to be smart to do that it's pretty simple and so notice the jews were told by Pilate to judge christ according to their law look at john um, 18 this is really an interesting uh, interplay here between Pilate and these um, Jewish leaders and the Lord. In uh, the 18th um, chapter here, uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. The Lord put Pilate in his place uh, here when Pilate says, don't you know I have authority to put you to death or not. And the Lord says, you have no authority except for what you've been given from above. <laughs> I just like that. That's what a great line. But notice here in the uh, 30 chapter and verse 31, 
Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he uh, spake, signifying what kind of death he should uh, die. And so you have the, the fact that the Jews judged certain things according to their law. It's interesting the interplay there between the Jews and the Romans and some of the things that happened there. The Sabbath day was observed uh, in the Gospels according to law. Christ encouraged obedience to the Mosaic law during his earthly ministry. Christ said that he did not come to destroy the law. Well, just look at, if you would, um, Matthew chapter um, 19. Now, notice what the, the uh, good, the rich uh, ruler d does when he comes to the Lord. And, uh, and notice uh, when he comes, and, and notice this interplay here. And again, it shows you that it's under law. Now, we don't, I didn't put this in your, um, your notes there. But, so this one is uh, on top of what you have. Um, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay for it. Um, this is, as they say, free. <laughs> Matthew 19, notice in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, notice the Lord doesn't say doesn't really rebuke him about this thing about observing the law. Notice what the Lord says to him. Verse 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if you will enter into life, into the life, notice, keep the commandments. Now, he's going to tell them what commandments those were. And it's inescapable that he's telling them the Mosaic law. Now, so if this is the Mosaic law and we go over to Romans and Galatians and it tells us that we're not under law. How do you square this? How do you square this? And so notice what he says here. And he says unto him. Which, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, if you will be perfect, go sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. But notice the law here. Now, just let me show you while we, we're, it's on our mind. Look over in Galatians chapter three. And we can clearly say that we're not under law today <laughs> in case you've forgotten it. I just why it's on your mind. Maybe you might forget between now and looking it up. I just want to give you one illustration to show. That that's the case. Galatians chapter three. And notice what Paul says in verse 10. For as many as are under the works of law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the books of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live or really go on living by faith. And the law is not a faith. But the man that doeth these things shall live. By them, there is a righteousness today that is not out from law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Totally different from the righteousness that was under law. Totally different. And so you see these things concerning law, and we won't belabor the point. I gave you a lot more um, information there that you can really check me on. And you'll see, again, it's... It's very clear. Since we're in Galatians, by the way, just let's uh, do this. Go over to Galatians. I think it's chapter 4 and verse 8. If my memory serves me correct, and it doesn't always. Um, um, uh, it doesn't always serve me, and in fact it didn't, but it is a few verses up. So you're, you're wearing business today. This is a good day. <laughs> Notice in verse one of chapter four. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he is Lord of all. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, notice here, verse four, God sent forth his son. And when this happened, 
made of a woman and made what? Under law. Under law. To redeem them that were what? Under, and I think here it's under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. What were they under? The law. They were under the law. And so we can see that the presence of the Mosaic law was in, in the, uh, the Mosaic law was in effect when, during, throughout Christ's earthly ministry. I don't think, I've given you other scriptures you can look at. Go check them out and come and tell me if that's the case. I think you'll find that that was the case. The purpose in the ministry of Christ is proof that the gospel is a doctrine for the church's faith but not practice. Now notice the prophecy concerning Christ. His birth fulfilled the promise made of the one coming who would save his people from their sins. And so it was prophesied where Jesus, it tells you in Matthew 1.21 that um, he would save his people. Now who, is, who are his people? Now we've noticed, noted in scripture that the people or his people, it's referring back to the nation of Israel. And it's used numerous times in the gospel this way. This personal pronoun is used to emphasize that. Um, and so the, um, they belonged to him because he had chosen them. And if you had be, you've been listening to Don in the uh, Old Testament survey, you see it over in Deuteronomy chapter 7, that they were chosen by God as a nation. And why were they chosen as a nation? God chose them actually because, not because they were the biggest nation, but because they were the smallest. You know, it's an interesting thing as you see through scripture that God delights in using the things that people despise. And in the world system today, what do people despise? Small things. They have no time for, for small things. It's got to be big. It's got to be great. It's got to have a lot of people involved in it. Right? And so what happened with, uh, as, as a classic example of that, uh, Gideon, right? When God came to Gideon, he says, you got too many. He kept paring it down, paring it down, paring it down until he got to a small number of people. And that's who God used. And you just see this all the way throughout the course of Scripture. And the world system is to obviously totally different from that. And so the Old Testament prophecies foretold. Uh, of when we looked at the Luke pack passage in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 68, and it prophesied of him being the horn of salvation. Old Testament prophecy foretold of one who would provide physical salvation for Israel uh, from their physical enemies. Um, and so the Greek, uh, well, we won't get into all of that. I, I just have that there in your notes and you can look it up. And so the Lord's uh, coming was prophesied by both Moses and the prophets. Now look at John chapter 1 and verse 45. John chapter 1 and verse 45. Now notice here, um, John's writing in, in verse 43, he says, The day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and he findeth Philip, and he said unto him, Follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip uh, findeth Nathanael, and he said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. And uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so that was the prophecy, and they understood it, and they were able to put together that this is the one. He's the one. And so this was a, the prophecy that was prophesied, and all of Israel could have done that, though they weren't able to do it. Christ is seen in the gospel as one who came to be king over Israel. The inscription over his cross proclaimed him to be king of the Jews. Now let's look at this because this is really important in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 36 through 37. Matthew chapter 27. And this is so easy to see. So um, what we see in the Gospels is that Christ came. He presented himself to Israel as a king in the kingdom from the heavens. There also were some that he was relating to as he was preaching the gospel concerning the kingdom of God. And there were people that were saved under that as well. Now, both of these kingdoms, and I wanted to show you this uh, here. So you have the kingdom of God. It actually goes back beyond this. Uh, but notice 
here is uh, this kingdom of God is related to salvation. And then you have the kingdom from the heavens. It's a literal earthly kingdom. Now, when you get into the millennial kingdom, these are going to be operating at the same time. The people that are saved and the people uh, are the, the earthly kingdom is going to be operating at the same time. Now, um, Israel, this kingdom from the heavens, is not inclusive of all people that are saved. Not everyone in the nation of Israel that would have participated in that kingdom would have been saved. He made a covenant to a nation of people, and it wasn't predicated on the fact that they were all saved. In fact, a lot of them, as they came out of Egypt, were killed off because of their unbelief. He made it to a nation of people. And so you can't compare the church with Israel because Israel, you know, there was a mixture in the, in the nation of Israel. There's not supposed to be a mixture in the church. It's different. Uh, I did have, uh, and I wanted to see if I included it here, the distinction, uh, I didn't put it in. I'll see if I can bring it next week. And I went down and I made some distinctions between the kingdom from the heavens, the kingdom of God. Entry requirements, the kingdom from the heavens is uh, repent, have a change of mind, be baptized. The entry requirements for the kingdom of God, you must be born again. The kingdom of God, John, uh, John t- uh, Luke tells us in, in Luke chapter 17, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. That's something you can see with your eyes. The kingdom from the heavens is. You see, you can go back through, just look at those two, put them side by side. Don't look at what's similar. Look at what's different and you can see the differences in them. So clear to see. So clear to see. And so notice Christ. Um, in, so he came to be king of Israel and notice in verse 36, uh, uh, verse 37, and they set up over his head his accusation written. This is Jesus. Notice the king of the church. Oops. Isn't that what they're singing today? He's our king. Do you know he's never said it's never said in scripture that he's king of the church? I would like to see if you show me one time where it says he's king of the church. He presents himself as king of the Jews. When Pilate is questioning him in John 18, he says, are you king of the Jews? You said it. You said it. So notice here. And so and I think it's in John also. I don't I didn't put it here. It may be in one of the scriptures that I uh, the other scriptures up there might be Luke. Where when he put this, Pilate put this, that the Jews said, don't write that he's king of the Jews. Write that he said he's king of the Jews. We have only one king, Caesar. You know what this means? Proof positive of the fact that they rejected him. As king. They rejected him as king. Despite all of the things and all the prophecy that was fulfilled when he came in um, and the on the. um, uh, the week before, and the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is all fulfillment of prophecy that the king would do this. They rejected him as king. <laughs> it's just really interesting to see. And so what you have in the Gospels is a picture of what was happening here and um, how uh, the son presented himself as king. And he also, what is confusing, and I think God wrote it this way, to confuse those who think they know it all. He preached the kingdom from the heavens, and he was also preaching the kingdom from God. And this confuses a lot of people. Because they don't think that, I guess they didn't think the Lord could walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> that he could preach two different kingdoms, and, and they both be separate. And so notice, 
Christ presented, uh, was presented in the Gospels accounts as one who came to be king of Israel. And, and so absent of any relationship to the church, two pieces of evidence of his kingship are the presence of the forerunner and his presentation of himself as king. And so scripture prophesied that uh, a, a forerunner would precede him. And we've talked about this, uh, the coming of Messiah and John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Uh, scripture also prophesied that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a coat. This prophecy was fulfilled uh, to the day that it was appointed. Uh, Christ's disciples uh, expected to, uh, him to establish himself as king, which was reflected in their actions following his crucifixion. They believed that he was the Messiah and, they, and was that the Messiah that was prophesied to come. And so consequently, they were perplexed over his death. Now imagine this. They identified the disciples that this is the one. He's the king. And then in Matthew 16, let's look at it. He starts talking about the fact that he must die and go and be buried and be raised. Now, you don't understand this because we're not understanding the context behind it. But notice the context. They identify that he's the Messiah. So let's get on with this show. This is what they're thinking. Let's get on with butchering these our enemies. They're not thinking about the church. If you would have gone back and asked those guys, what is the church? They would not have known what you were talking about. We're reading back into it with our New Testament glasses, reading into it what they were thinking. And by that, you know, by the way, you have to allegorize to do that. You can't let scripture say what it says and come to that conclusion. You would have to take scripture out of context which many people are doing to allegorize it, to make the church fit into the gospels. And this is why you could hear somebody preaching a message and you look at what they're saying in scripture and what they're, you look at what scripture is saying and what they're saying and it doesn't line up because they're allegorizing. And so notice in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. Notice in verse 13. And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, What well, some say that you are, uh, thou art, uh, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Now, this, think about what is being said here. Don't just dismiss this. People, this is the scuttlebutt. They don't know that he is who he's. A lot of people don't know. There's these rumors going around. Who is this guy? Right? He wasn't walking around glowing and they're like, oh, yeah, that's him. I, I mean, what if this happened today? How many people would get it? Well, you probably would get it because you're elect. And the, and the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see it. But do you know most of the people, he walked right by them? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they saw him as just a man. And this is why they talked to him with contempt in the way that they did. Can you imagine the guy? I was just reading this the other day. The guy that at the trial of Jesus went up and slapped him on the face. I'm thinking, I wonder what that guy's thinking today. <laughs> what is that guy thinking? Well, why would he slap him? He thought that he was just dealing with a man. This is just another man. He's nobody. And so you, when you come back here into the Gospels, you have to sit down and just think about what is being said. You just can't blow words off or blow context off. These are all important. And so notice he says, who do men say that I am? You, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And notice he says to them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and I think he's answering for the group. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, blessed are thy Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. Here's a really important distinction to make. That's different than what's happening today. In the Gospels, the Father was the one that opened men's eyes to see 
who Christ was. You see this again in John chapter um, six. The father was the one that revealed the son to men. Well, who's doing it today? The Holy Spirit. He's the one that's revealing men today, revealing uh, this to men today. And so notice he says in verse 18, and I say unto you, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, notice. I don't see English. I'm not a good. I didn't. I I didn't do good at English. Really, I didn't. I didn't do good at, at all in any subject. Come to speak of it. But do you know, I do understand what future is and past. And notice it says here, I will build my church. And if I to- told you, I'll d- I will do something, David, for you. Do you think I'm doing it now? It's future, right? So if he's going to build his church in the future, how could it be then? How could it be in existence? So here he is right before he's crucified. He's prophesying that the church is going to be built in the future. Upon this rock, and notice the Catholic Church thinks that he's talking about Peter. Well, he's not talking about Peter. Are you kidding me? Particularly Peter at that time, and he's really, he uses the word Petros, I mean, um, Petros, which is a pebble that can be kicked around, which is what was happening to Peter at that time. But he, I think that what you see him saying is upon this rock, he's pointing toward himself, which is a boulder, a foundational rock. Upon this rock, I shall build my church. And do you know the Catholic Church has built their whole papacy upon a lie? Upon a lie. They think Peter was the first pope. Those poor people believe that Peter was the first pope. And reportedly they have his bones in the basement of the St. Peter's Basilica. I wonder how they find out who it was. (laughs) You know. Maybe uh, somebody told him. Maybe they went back in time or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the gates of hell are ready. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, so a lot of people say, well, he's talking about, well, Satan's not going to be able to prevail against the church. Well, that's not true. That's not true. That's not what he's talking about here. If that was true, I feel like Satan's having a field day to me in the church. That's not what he's talking about. So the premise is, is that Satan's in hell. And so the gates of Hades is not going to be able to prevail. Satan's not going to be able to do anything against the church. No, that's not what he's talking about. He says the gates of Hades will not enclose it. The church will be the first group of people who don't go to Hades when you die. Absent from the body, what does it say? Present with the Lord. Do you know those Old Testament saints? And you look at it in Luke chapter 16 that when they died, they went to Hades and there was a separate compartment before the believers versus the unbelievers. Very clear to see out of Luke chapter 16. The church would be the first group of people that that didn't happen to. And so and that that's the way that it is today. Now, notice one other thing. Look at Luke chapter 18. And so here they are. They're trying to wrap their minds around this. And you guys, I mean, we shouldn't be so hard on them because we have more information than they had. So they weren't able to see what we can see. And they were stuck. All they could think about was the kingdom. That's all they were thinking about. When is the kingdom going to be set up? And so now the Lord tells them again, verse 31, Luke chapter 18. Then he took the 12 and he said unto them, behold, we go into Jerusalem and all things written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and they and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And notice in verse 34, why did they not say this? And they understood none of these things. Right? And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. They had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. And so he's telling them, they dirt. If I ask, if I said to you today that, what do you have to believe to be saved? And you say, I don't know. Do you have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? I don't know. I'm thinking, well, we have a satire here. <laughs> it's a tear. That's what I'm thinking. But you know, these guys, 
they, 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 there was th things that were veiled from them. And I think because they didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit as we have, and they, their focus was on the kingdom, they, did, they couldn't see it. Here we are in Acts chapter 1. Here you see it right over here in Acts chapter 1. They're still thinking about the kingdom right before Christ ascends. They're not thinking about church or the church. They wouldn't even know what you were talking about. And so notice in Acts chapter 1, here in verse 5, uh, uh, he says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And here again is another distinction that's important. John baptized with water, but what's the baptism that's important today? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see? We are baptized into the body of Christ. Words matter. Notice what happens here in what he says here. Verse 6, And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to who? Israel? And really, you can have this as almost like an iterative ideal, and they just kept on asking him, is it now? Is now the time? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Well, he's getting ready to go. What, what is going on here? We know you're the Messiah. Why is the kingdom not getting set up? That's what they were preoccupied with. That's what they were preoccupied with. All the way up until Christ ascended. And you can see over in the third chapter, there was still a chance that if they would have, those Jews had believed on the day of Pentecost, that the kingdom could have come and been set up. But they still, even up to that point, um, a lot of them would not have a change of mind. Notice in Acts 3, verse 19, uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost preach, preaches this message. He says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before you which preached unto you whom the heavens must, re must receive until the time of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began or from an age. If they had had a change of mind as a nation, I think the kingdom would have been set up then. And God would have did it differently. Well, when would the church have come? I don't know. He would have just, the order would be different. Peter wasn't just whistling Dixie here. This had to be a legitimate offer to them. Or what are we doing? He's just saying words that don't really mean anything. No, I think that if they would have accepted it, the kingdom as a nation, the kingdom would have been set up then. And the order of things would be different. The rapture would be in a different order. All of these things would be different. But they were, they were thinking about the kingdom. And so the focus of Christ, uh, our Lord was not aimless in his direction during his earthly ministry. He was on a mission, not ascending back to the Father until he completed all the things that were written concerning him. Uh, scripture tells us that he came to fulfill all that had been prophesied about him. His primary focus, however, was to the nation of Israel. And this is seen from his birth to his betrayal. Um, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would uh, preach to the Jews scattered among the Gentiles, which he did. It was prophesied that he would speak to the multitude in parables. It was prophesied that he would heal the Jews. It was prophesied that the Holy Spirit would anoint him for ministry. It was prophesied that the Jews would reject him. Um, and so I give you some information there. And notice the followers of Christ. And so as you look at the Christ doing his earthly ministry, one of the standards of, uh, of uh, showing that you believed is that you followed him. Right? Now, I know today they say that you follow Jesus and it's all esoteric, right? Oh, we follow him. I'm following him in my mind. I'm just thinking of the Lord and I'm following him. Uh, that's not what follow means. Remember, notice here in Mark chapter 10, and we'll just sum it up with this chapter because we don't have a lot of time to do it. In Mark chapter 10... Now notice in verse 28, then Peter began to say unto him, lo, we have left all. And really, I would say we have left all things and followed him and followed thee. So they left everything. And notice, and Jesus answered and said, verily, I say unto you that there is no man who has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, 
but that he, re he shall receive a hundredfold now in times, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children and lands and with persecutions and in the not the world to come. Really, it's in the Greek, it says, and in the age to come. Eternal life. Now, does it look like they were esoteric in their understanding of following him? They said, we have left all things. Now, notice he lists the things that they left. So if you're going to follow him, I guess the big question would be, where are you going to find him? They literally followed him. They literally left everything to follow him. And that really caused a lot of problems. Some of the fishermen who left their family business to follow him. This was not an easy thing. And so you, you just, a lot of, again, you would have to allegorize and take scripture uh, in a non-literal way to, make, to fit the church into this. And that's what's happening. And so the followers of Christ, you, you see that. And I just give you a lot of scripture that I wish we had time to stop, but we have a lot of uh, time, things to cover. Uh, at the bottom of page 18, let's just introduce this and then we'll stop right here and ask, uh, leave time for questions. The distinction between the kingdom from the heavens and the kingdom of God is the uh, proof that the gospels are doctrine for faith, but not practice. And so the heralding of the good news concerning the kingdom from the heavens and the kingdom from God was the forefront of Christ's earthly ministry. The technical name for the kingdom is the kingdom from the heavens. God's rule was brought from the heavens to be set up on the earth. It would have been unlike any other kingdom on the earth. The Lord uh, in intimated this when he told uh, Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not out from this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my subjects, my servants, uh, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. It was this kingdom that was the main focus early on as John the Baptist preached the message of uh, the kingdom to those uh, to in the nation of Israel. So uh, later after John was placed into prison, the Lord intensified his preaching of the kingdom from God. And so the preaching of these messages differ from the good news preached today. The, aging, uh, the agents uh, dispensing the message were different. Their object of salvation, what they had to believe, was different. And to the people whom the message was pre preached was different. Today we'll consider, uh, well not today, but we'll be considering the dispensing of the good news concerning the kingdom from the heavens and the kingdom from God uh, next week. Uh, Lord willing, and uh, the rapture doesn't occur. And then if that happens, then you won't have to worry about it. You might want to ask the Lord on the way up. Hey, was that guy right about the Gospels not being <laughs> doctrine for the day? Yeah. And he might answer you and he might, you might not even be thinking about it. I'm sure you won't.